Christmas. This is our Christmas service. As uh, Alex said, no Christmas Eve, no Christmas Day service. Uh, but they will be over at Oxford Falls on the Northern Beaches if you want to attend church on those days. But back next Sunday, the 27th. If you've got a Bible, uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. I've got a short Christmas message here. Or you can have a look up on the screens. It says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead till it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Uh, I've, I love this passage of Scripture. And it's a well-known story. Most of you have probably heard this story, read this story uh, around Christmas time. Um, but there, there was three wise men, magi in some translations or, or wise men, and they, they heard a call from God and they saw a, a sign that directed them in a certain direction. So they saw a sign, they, they followed the star, but there was an internal calling as well that they had felt and they were following it. And Oftentimes when you set out on a journey, you're expecting something grand, you're expecting something magnificent, you're expecting something incredible before you, and yet sometimes you're confronted with something which is not what you expected. It's not what you anticipated. It's important that we understand that sometimes our ways are not God's ways. What we think a thing should be the way we think a thing should unfold is not always the way God in his omniscience and in his omnipotence and on his overwhelming love is the way he sees it. And so we've got these wise men and they're looking for a king. So they'd heard that the king, the saviour of the world, was being born. And they saw a star in the sky that was directing them. And so naturally, they headed towards Jerusalem, which was the capital of Israel, and they went to the palace. They followed the star. It doesn't say that the star went away. But at some point, they stopped looking at the star and started thinking, where would we find a king? And so they thought, we'll go to Jerusalem and we'll go to the palace. So they went to the palace where you find kings, correct? Natural correlation, looking for a king, looking for this king of the Jews, king of the world, will go to the palace. They go to the palace, they go to Herod, and Herod, the current king, knows nothing about this new saviour, this new king that was going to be born. And so it says they consulted the scriptures to see where this Messiah was going to be born, and it was going to be in Bethlehem. And so it says they headed off for Bethlehem and then they saw the star again. And they followed the star to Bethlehem and the star stopped over a stable and they went into the stable and they found a baby being held by his child, by, by his mother. <laughs> Not by his child, no, no, that's right. <laughs> so they're looking for a king, they're looking for a newborn 
king of Israel of the world, and they find a mom holding a baby, and they're surrounded by animals. They're in a stable, which is what a manger was. So what do you do when you're following a star and it leads you to a stable? When you're expecting something big and magnificent and incredible and it takes you to something that's humble and indiscreet and unexpected. When you're looking for a palace and you find a stable, how are you going to react? How is your conduct affected by the unexpected circumstances? Oftentimes, when there's a difference between our expectation and our reality, we get disillusioned, we get discouraged, we get disappointed. We want God to do something. We expect God to do something grand, something significant, something incredible. And he does, but it's not always the way we anticipate. Because when God does something big, he always starts with something small. When he does something magnificent, he always starts with something indiscreet. Something you wouldn't expect, something you wouldn't anticipate. Uh... It's not always, God doesn't always present things the way we expect. He doesn't always move in our lives the way we want. But He always moves in a way that's going to bring blessing to our lives and to those around us. That's what He did with Jesus. Can you imagine the wise men? They turn up, they're expecting this, this king. These are, these, are, these are incredibly rich business people, if you like. And they're looking for a king and they go to the palace and he's not there and then they get, led, they get led into this stable. And they're going, this is unusual. <laughs> this is not what we expected. How do you react in that situation? How do you react when you're heading, you're following a star, you're heading, you're following the direction of the Lord. God is directing you in a direction and you think, wow, this is it. This is going to be incredible. This is going to be the making of me. This is, this is my opportunity. And you're following the direction of the Lord and it leads you to a place completely unexpected. Something humble. Something small. But the Bible says, never despise the day of small beginnings. Never underestimate the hand and the purpose and the ability of God to take something small and have an incredible impact upon your family or your circumstances or upon your life. So I just want to look at two points here this morning about how these wise men responded in an unexpected circumstance and how we can learn from the way they responded. When we're faced by a situation or a circumstance or an event in our life that was completely maybe out of left field, unexpected or unanticipated. We thought God was leading us somewhere and we've ended up somewhere else. How do we react? How do we respond when we face that situation? Throughout, number one, when wise men follow a star and find a stable, 
They look for God in the stable. Throughout the Bible, we see real people dealing with real stable experiences. The Bible is full. It's replete of situations and stories of people who ended up in a stable. But in that stable, in that difficulty, in that unexpected place, they looked for God and they found him. The wise men, even though they were probably disorientated in regards to what they were anticipating, what they were expecting when they felt this leading to find a king and they end up in a stable. But even in amongst that situation, they looked for God in that place and they found him. The Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, when he ends up in prison, what does he do? He ends up in a Philippian prison and he gets beaten. He gets chained. He gets put in the lowest most place, chained to the wall. But he'd seen a vision. If you know the story in Acts, he'd seen a vision of a Macedonian man say, hey, come over here. If it's the will of God, if it's the purpose of God, it's going to be awesome. Eventually. <laughs> eventually. So in a, in a, he'd seen a vision. He'd heard God. He goes over to Macedonia. He goes over to that area and finds preachers in Philippi. gets beaten, gets put in jail, gets stoned at one point and... What does he do in that place? He looks for God in the stable. And he writes three of the most incredible letters that find themselves. They're called the the prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians were written while the Apostle Paul was in jail, in a Roman jail. Also Philemon, another great letter that was written. What does David do? He's been anointed as the next king of Israel. The prophet comes to him, comes to his home. Be like the prime minister of Australia coming to your home. And he said, you're, you're the next king. Anoints him. He goes, my moment has come. He spends the next 15 years of his life, 10 of them, five years in working for Saul, 10 years on the run, living hand to mouth, day to day. What does he do being hunted like an animal when the Lord had said, you're going to be the king? And yet his circumstances did not correlate with the promise. What did he do in that place? He wrote the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. It's important that we can see God in the good times, in the big moments of life, but also in the small, stable experiences where we go, you know what, God, this is not what I expected, but I'm going to find you in this place because I know You are here. Most people, when following a star and finding a stable, will pray, Lord, change my circumstances. And it's okay to pray that. But it's also important in those times to say, Lord, change me. 
change my perspective, change my view, change my heart. Help me to see you in this place. Help me to see what you're doing in this place. You see, the reality was in that stable, you could have missed the hand of God. You could have missed a moment where the Son of God had been born into the world. If you looked around, you could have gone, surely this is not the work of God. This is so pedestrian. This is so understated. But right there, Jesus Christ, the one that we're singing about, had been born. He was there in that place. And you know what? He's right there in your place, in your stable experience, in your moment of challenge and difficulty where you're facing unexpected circumstances. And it's good and it's okay to change, Lord, change my circumstances, but it's also pertinent to pray, Lord, let this change me. Let this make me a better, bigger person. So the wise men teach us not to despise the stable, but to find God in that place. And the second point, when wise men follow a, sta- find a, follow a star and find a stable, they still give their very best to God. would have been easy for the wise men to go, uh, wrong house, guys. <laughs> Quick, get up, get the gold, get the frankincense, get, the, get it back on the camels. <laughs> We're going back to Jerusalem. Google Maps has gone astray. <laughs> it's led us down a dead end. We've lost our internet connection. would have been very easy to go, we're not giving this guy all these gifts. I mean, this is ridiculous. Look at, these, look at this situation. We've got all of this stuff that is worthy of a king, but yet in that place, they still gave their best to God. When things aren't working out how we planned or how we hoped, our tendency is to hold back from giving our best. To, to just go through the motions. To just do what we have to do to get through. It's easy to give your best, to get excited, and when everything's going well, and it's great to celebrate when things are going well, and we're getting breakthroughs, and things are happening, and whether it be you know, getting married, or whether it's buying a home, or whether it's getting a promotion, or all the great things that happen in life which are worthy of celebration. It's easy to get excited. But with most of us, emotion determines commitment. When we're up, we're committed. When we're not up, we're sort of committed. We're sort of there. It's easy to back off when things aren't working out the way we'd hoped or anticipated. Ever started a job, excited, and then after a while you go, this is not what I was anticipating. The guy that gave me the job started off as the Messiah. (laughs) Now I've been working for him for a month. (laughs) He's now the devil. (laughs) (laughs) and I'm not going to give the devil my best (laughs) very easy to be driven by emotion to let our values be determined 
by our circumstances. And yet in this situation, we find that the, the wise men, even though they found themselves in a stable, in that place they found God and they gave God their very best. To continue to hope and trust in God in the face of life's difficulties is not always easy. In fact, during World War II, uh, in a Nazi concentration camp, on the wall, actually it was a group of Jews who had, who had been hiding from the Gestapo during World War II. And on the wall of their hideout, before they were discovered, they were discovered and they did end up in a, in a concentration camp. But on the wall, when they were in hiding, in very, very challenging and difficult circumstances, when the hiding place was found later on, this was written on the wall in, in coal from the fire. I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining. I believe in love, even when feeling it not. I believe in God, even when it seems like he's not there. God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be confused. If I cannot trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. That is what Christmas is all about. We are celebrating a God who we may not always understand, but we can always trust. We may not always comprehend what he's doing, but we can always rely on his best interest for us and our life and our future. Christmas tells us that God cares, that God is interested in you. He's interested in your life. He's interested in your future. He's interested in your world. Christmas tells us that God also will use people to change the world. God could easily just miraculously and sovereignly transform the world, make it a better place. But he decided a long time ago, right back when he created humanity, he created you and I. He said, you know what, I'm going to change the world through people. People who are born into this world. There's a quote that says, a century ago, men were following with bated breath the march of Napoleon. Two centuries ago, that should be. <laughs> um, and waiting with feverish impatience for news of the wars. And all the while, in their own homes, babies were being born. But who could think about babies? Who could think about the small things? Everybody was thinking about the battles. Everybody was thinking about the grand events of life. And yet in the, in the year of 1809, within one year, midway between the battles of Trafalgar and the battles of Waterloo, babies were being born. In 1809, William Gladstone, the future Prime Minister of England, was being born in Liverpool. Lord Alfred Tennyson, in 1809, the great poet, was being born in Somersby Rectory. Abraham Lincoln drew his first breath in old Kentucky, in 1809, all these things were going on, insignificant at the time, compared to the great dramas of the world. Felix Mendelssohn, the great musician, was being born in Hamburg. Louis Bra uh, Braille, the creator of the Braille system for the blind, was born that year. And Samuel Crowther, 
who was sold into slavery, escaped and became one of the most influential missionaries in Africa, way before David Livingston, was also born in 1809. It's very easy to have our focus on the grand events of life and lose focus of the little things that God is doing in amongst the great things. And it's the little things that come up that can bring great transformation to our world and to the world around us. What are the little things that God is doing in your world right now that you are oblivious to simply because you're trying to see the big thing that's going on? The big adventure, the big move, the big transformation. Right now, God is doing little things, giving birth to little things in your life and in your world and in your circumstances that have the potential to bring great transformation. When God wants to do something in the world, He gives birth to a baby. He gives birth to a person. There's a great scripture that I love in the Gospels. It's talking about John the Baptist and it says this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Why did God send you into the world? You might say, God didn't send me in the world. I was just born by my parents. Everything and everyone that is alive today was chosen by God to come into this world. Why were you born? Why are you here in the world today? You might say, I'm not doing anything significant. I'm not doing anything of value. I'm just living my life. Every little thing that you do because God is directing you or because of the values that he's placed within you, because of the encounter that you had with him, every little step you take matters. Every little thing that you do is bringing change. Colossians 1.16 says this, For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in Him and finds its purpose in Him. Nobody creates a thingamajig. <laughs> what is it? I don't know. It's a thingamajig. Why'd you make it? I don't know. But it's worth $25. <laughs> Nobody creates a thingamajig. Everything that's created, everything that's designed, everything that's manufactured is created and designed and manufactured for a purpose. It's the same with God. God, crea God, does God did not create a thingamajig when he created you. He designed you. He shaped you for a purpose and a plan, and he brought you into this world. And Christmas tells us that you matter, that you matter. Ephesians 1.11 in the Message Translation, I'll finish with this. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything 
and every one. Christmas tells us that God cares about the world. Christmas tells us that God cares about you. And he's working out his plan and he's working out his purpose in the little and the big, in the significant and the insignificant, in the great events and and victories of our life and the mundane, everyday and sometimes difficult failures that we face. God is there. God is there. And I want to encourage you as we head into 2016 to decide, you know what? I'm going to make the most of every little opportunity, every little thing that's going on. You may say, you know what? I'm f- I found myself in a stable right now. I don't know how I ended up here. I don't know what God's doing. But I guarantee you, if you look, He's there. If you look, He's there. Why don't we pray this morning? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your commitment to us, Lord. To us. David prayed, wrote in a psalm, Who is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you should pay any attention. You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory. You're a glorious creation. Made in the image of God. Shaped, designed, and born for a purpose. That most important purpose is to come into relationship with Jesus, your creator, your designer. To know him. He sent Jesus into the world that we might, through him, know the Father. Have a relationship. Be born again through his gift. As we all think about Christmas, as we get ready to give gifts and uh, enjoy this festive season, I want you to think about your world and your life right now. What can we give back to the God who gave us everything? And there's only one thing that he's after. It's not your money. It's not even your time. It's not even great sacrifice, great works. The one thing that God desires above everything else is your heart your heart so I want to pray for you here today maybe you say you know what I've never ever given God my heart I don't really know him or maybe at some point in your life at some time you committed yourself to Christ but you're away from him right now and you know it But today you're going, Lord, I recommit my heart to you. I want to know you more intimately. I want to know your purpose for me, your direction for me. I want to find you 
in the stable I find myself in right now. Help me to see your purpose in this place.